Well, as I mentioned at the start of the service this morning, we're starting a brand new series on identity, who you are in Christ, and it just really flows naturally out of Easter and the fact that we are redeemed, that we are new and saved. And uh, to start things off this morning, I brought something here with me. I'm wondering if any of you can tell me what this is. Anybody? And just an FYI, we're... I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today, Um, and I know we don't normally always talk in church, but you have my permission to talk in church today, and I would appreciate it if you did. So, can anybody tell me what this is right here? A label maker. Good. Um, It has uh, its own keyboard on here, and so you can power it up. You can type in um, whatever you want on the keyboard here. You can press print, and it would shoot out the back side of here a label. And then it's got a nifty little scissors built right in. You can cut it off. You can peel it off. And you can, you can label whatever you want, right? I mean, I could this morning, I could go around and I could label everything. I could label the chairs. I could label the floor. I could label the carpet, the wood, the flowers, the flag. I could label anything and everything in here this morning because I have this nifty little label maker. Now, we as Americans, we like to label things, don't we? We like to, I mean, probably all of us have a drawer in our home that we pull out, and this drawer that just kind of keeps coming out and keeps coming out and keeps coming out, it's got all these files in it, and they all have what on them? Labels. Because we like to know what's in each of those files. We like to label things. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do we label things? Anybody? Why do we label things? So we know what's in there. So one reason why we label things is to identify what that thing or that person or that place, whatever, to identify what it is, okay? What's another reason why we label things? Not just to identify what it is, but, anybody? Whose it is, right? Probably all of us have some kind of electronic device that when we got it, it asked us for our name. And we probably thought, well, that's polite, right? I got this brand new phone or this brand new computer, and it's asking me of my name. And then, lo and behold, we come to find out that it used our name to label itself. And so no longer is it an iPhone, it's Steve's iPhone. No longer is it a computer or a laptop, it's Steve's laptop, right? Because it's now whose it is. Right? So we have labels. We're all accustomed to labels. Now, let me ask you another question. Who has the right to label something? Who has the right to label something? Anybody? The owner. I'm hearing the owner. Good. Anybody else? Another idea? How about the, the maker or the manufacturer? Right? All of you here today, you came into church in cars And on every single car out in that parking lot, there are labels on them. Whether it's written out or with a certain logo or emblem, they are all labeled by the manufacturer, the maker. So the maker has a right to label something. Um, All of you are wearing clothes that, thank goodness, all of you are wearing clothes um, that have labels on them. Every single article of clothing that you're wearing has, in some way, is identified by the manufacturer, the maker, all right? Another person that has a right to label something is the owner, right? Kids, when you, at the start of the school year, when you get a new backpack, what's the first thing mom and dad tell you to do when you bring it home? Put your name in it, right? Because they want to make sure that you are the owner. You are identified as the owner of that backpack. Now, 
Let me ask you another question. Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? Now, all of us have labels. All of us have certain names, certain identifiers that are associated with us. Some of those labels that we have, we've given ourselves. Some of the labels that we have, other people have given to us, okay? So some we've given ourselves, some other people have given to us. Now, some of those labels, we're pretty proud of those labels. So we hold on to those labels. We embrace those labels. We use those labels whenever we can, whether it's mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or hard worker or overachiever or athletic, whatever it is. There are some labels that we have that we like them, we're proud of them, and so we embrace them and we're willing to let other people know about them. But all of us have some labels that we are not proud of. All of us have labels that we wish we could shed in some way. We wish that they would never be associated with us. I'll give you one. Um, Promise it does not leave the room. One about me, okay? Um, When I was growing up, I had um, bad front teeth. Um, So bad that my brothers used to call me beaver. Because they were so... Thanks, Murray. Um, I feel a lot better about myself now. Um, thank goodness for dentists, and thank goodness that they can fix things like that. Um, so no longer do they call me that. But all of us, it was not a label that I appreciated. It's not a label that I wanted to, to have for myself. But guess what? It was still a label that defined me. And that's why labels are so important. And it's so important to understand what our labels are and to make sure that our labels are correct. Because labels are powerful, powerful things. Labels really lock us into a certain mindset. They lock us into a certain way of living. And we all do certain things because of certain labels that we have. We all act a certain way because of certain labels that we have. We all make friends and we go about our day-to-day lives and we live out our lives in certain ways because of certain labels that we have. Now the big question is, are the labels that you have right now correct? Are the labels that you are carrying around, that are identifying your life, that are locking you in to a certain way of living and a certain lifestyle, are those labels correct? Because if we don't have the correct labels, if we are not identifying ourselves the right way, the correct way, our lives will be affected in a big, big way. Now, before we go on, I just want to address um, one of the maybe pushbacks that's out there right now amongst all of you. I'm just going to take a minute to to address this. Um, Some of you might be thinking, all right, this whole series, I'm just starting to dismiss this because this sounds like a self-help series, right? That this is just about self-esteem and we just want to make you feel better. And I just want to tell you that that's not what this is all about. The goal of this series is not for you to be able to go home and stand up in front of your mirror and say to yourself, you're awesome. Nor is it to make you feel better about yourself necessarily. If you walk out of here feeling better about yourself, that's not a bad thing. 
But that's not the goal of this series. And the verse that we're going to look at in just a second really identifies what the true purpose of understanding our identity in Christ is all about. And our identity in Christ changes everything about our lives. And I'm just going to tell you, who has the right to identify you? Who has the right to label you? Isn't it the maker of you? And isn't it the owner of you? And that's what Easter is all about, right? God is your maker. God is my maker. And God is the one who purchased us. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus paid the price to make us God's. And so God is the one who has the right to label you. And so in this entire series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a look at some of the labels that God has for us. And in order to do that, we're going to take a look at a verse, couple of verses from 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse 9, where Peter writes, But you, talking about Christians, talking about you here today, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Those are some of your labels. Those those are some of the things that you can walk out of here today and walk out of this series and you can identify yourself with, a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? Why is it so important that we properly identify ourselves? Paul, or Peter, goes on and explains that. He goes on and he says that, or so that, with this result in mind, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why is it so important for us to correctly identify who we are in Christ? Is it to make ourselves feel better? It's to bring praise and glory and honor to God. And so it's important for us to identify who we truly are in Christ. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Before we go any further... I just need to remind you that you have a phenomenal identity in Christ. And it is so, so, so very important for you, for your life, to correctly identify who you are in Christ. And we're going to start that this morning with looking at the first phrase that Peter gives us, and that is, you are a chosen people. You, and you, and all of you, are a chosen people. You are a chosen person. What does that mean? What does it mean that that God has chosen you? What that means is that God chose you to be a part of his family. More specifically, what that means is that God wanted to wanted to save you, and so he chose you to be a part of his family. God chose you. 
Now, when we hear that, um, when we think about choices, um, we make choices always on the basis of something, right? There's always a foundation to our choices. And we make lots and lots of choices in our lives. In fact, we probably make hundreds, if not a thousand, choices each and every single day. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to do, what we're going to do at work, what we're, who we're going to do it with. Um, there's all of these different choices that we make, and we make all of those choices on the basis of something. Sometimes it's information, right, that we have or that we've gathered. Sometimes we make um, decisions based upon emotions. Sometimes we make decisions based upon um, what's, you know, best for us in the short term. Sometimes we make choices based on what's best for us in the long term. Sometimes we make choices based upon the influence of others on our lives. But we have a basis for every single choice that we make. Let me give you an example. When I was um, in grade school, two quick stories about myself. When I was in grade school, um, when we went out to recess, and if we were going to play some kind of game that involved running in any way, and there were two captains, and they got to start picking kids to be on their team, I can guarantee you, almost always, I was one of the very first kids that was chosen to be on those teams. Why? On what basis was I chosen? I I was fast. I I liked to run. And so they knew that I would be helpful. I would bring value to their team because I was fast. Now, same class of kids where I just got chosen probably first or very close to first to be on a team for being fast. Same group of kids. We'd go back in the classroom after recess. The teacher would say, we're going to have a spelling competition. We're going to make teams. And you two people are captains. Now you start picking teams. I can almost guarantee you that I would have been the last person picked, always. Why? Because I brought almost zero value to a team that was trying to spell things correctly. Thank goodness for autocorrect, right? Or autocheck on Word. I'm not a good speller. So I did not bring value to those teams. But they made a choice on what value I brought to the team in a good way or a bad way. On what basis did God choose you? On what basis did God choose you? Anytime we start wondering we start thinking about our relationship with God, human beings tend to put themselves into one of two camps. And these camps, these are like the platforms upon which we stand, uh, the platform upon which we think God has chosen us. Now, there are two platforms. The one platform is the platform of we, we kind of look at our lives and we think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm better than some other people in my life. And so why did God choose me? Well, look at my life. I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, I have some, some worth within myself that, you know, that's why God chose me. And that's the platform. And we're just going to call that the self-righteous platform, okay? That there is some kind of righteousness, some kind of worth within myself, and that's why God chose me. That's one platform that people tend to stand on. Some of us here this morning are over here standing on this platform thinking, why did God choose me? Well, look at my life. I'm doing a pretty good job, okay? There's another platform. Some of us here today would um, jump up and get on this platform almost immediately, and that platform is the I'm not worthy platform. 
we, we look at our lives and, and we think, why did God choose me? Well, that's an easy answer. God didn't choose me because look at my life. Man, look at the things that I've done. Look at my past. Look at, man, if you only knew the secrets that were in my life, the shame, the guilt, the things that are associated with who I am. Man, God chose me. No, he didn't because I'm not worthy. And those are the the two platforms that people tend to get on when they start wondering, am I okay with God? Why did God choose me? Well, it's got to be this, or it's got to be this. And all of us could probably put ourselves on one of those two platforms today. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to write to a group of Christians, and in this group of Christians, there are two subgroups within the group of Christians. Just like today, there's a group of Christians, there are two subgroups within this, gr- this group, the subgroups of the self-righteous and the subgroup of the I'm not worthy. Paul in, first, or in Ephesians chapter 2 is writing to a group of Christians where there are two subgroups, the group of self-righteous and the group of I'm not worthy. Now in the first two verses, Paul is going to address the I'm not worthy group. And just to warn you ahead of time. If you're in this I'm not worthy group over here, just to warn you, Paul is not going to try and talk you out of the the platform that you're on. In fact, Paul is going to confirm that you are on the right platform, at least to start off with. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul writing, group of Christians, he's going to address, first of all, the I'm not worthy group. Now, another way we could label this group over here is with the label Gentiles, okay? They're, they're not part of the chosen nation of God, which would be the Jews or the Israelites, which they make up the self-righteous group over here. They had God's law. They knew what they were supposed to do. They could grade themselves, and they looked at their lives, and they thought, well, we're doing pretty good. This group over here, the Gentiles, they don't have that. And so they just look at their lives and they think, we're not worthy. That sums it up right there. Not worthy. All right? So Paul talks to them first, first two verses. He says, as for you, you Gentiles, you I'm not worthy group, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What does he say to that group? You were dead. I know it goes without saying, but what can dead people do? Nothing. Does that sound hopeless? It sounds like they're kind of stuck because they're kind of dead. And just so you're clear, you can't be kind of dead. (laughs) They are dead. All right? and, and it's helpless. It's hopeless. How many of us, when we're over here on this platform, we kind of look at our lives and we think to ourselves, man, it is just hopeless. I can't get anything right. It never goes the way I want it to. That's why I'm so unworthy. And that's this group over here. Paul says they were dead in their transgressions and sins. Not just in, in the visible things of their lives, but they were dead in their transgressions and sins. In the words that they spoke, the thoughts that they have, the, the motivation that they had. And he just says everything about them. They're just dead in transgressions and sins. And he goes on, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the the ruler of the kingdom of the air. What he's saying there is that there is this this, uh, 
thing that we call culture, the worldly view of things. And it's like a giant river at flood stage, and anything in it is just flowing in that direction. And apart from God, we're just in that river, and we are just sailing along in the river of culture. And he says that there's also this ruler of the air. Now, we believe, and the Bible teaches, that there is a a, a person called Satan. That he was a created angel of God. He was good at the beginning, but he got proud in his heart. He rebelled against God. He led a rebellion, and a, a group of angels fell with him. And they now are in the world, and they wreak havoc in the world that we live in. And we believe that. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus believed. And that's an active part of the world. And Jesus says that apart from him... That's what rules life. So, group over here, feeling unworthy, Paul says, you're right. You are unworthy. You are dead. Now, going on verse 3, now he's going to jump over here and he's going to talk to this self-righteous group over here, the group of Jews, the people who had the law and thought they were doing a pretty good job of things in their lives. He goes on, verse 3, he says, all of us, now he's including himself, he's a Jew, all of us um, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. What he's saying there is that all of us, by nature, we have a sinful nature. We have a, a natural nature which has certain cravings and certain desires which are not godly, that are unholy. Now, any of you parents out there, you, you know what we're talking about here, right? Because you, you, you have a child and you bring that child home and then all of a sudden you realize that you have brought home a small terrorist. They are violent, they hit, they throw things, um, they shout and they scream, they have a mind of their own. The only thing that they lack is size, they're too small. Otherwise, they would take over everything. That's the sinful nature that is inside all of us. It has its own desires, it has its own way of doing things apart from God. All of us, all of us, including the people on the self-righteous platform, all of us have that inside of us. Do you know what Paul just did? In, in one sentence, he just totally took away this platform over here. And anyone that has the self-righteous platform, Paul says, that ain't good enough. And all of us belong over here on this I'm not worthy platform. And this platform just got a whole lot more crowded. Going on, he says, like the rest... Right? Here comes your first label of the day. Like the rest, we were by nature label objects of wrath. Wouldn't it be great if I just said amen right there and you could all walk out of here with that label? Object of wrath. I, I wish I had labels at the back door as you walked out. You could peel it off and put it on your shirt. Object of wrath. Wouldn't that be great? What is wrath? It's wrath. It's not good, right? Um, God has wrath. If I called you up and said, hey, this is Pastor Steve. I'm coming over to your house and I have wrath. What would you do? You'd probably lock your doors and call the police and you'd think that Pastor Steve was crazy because wrath is wrath. It's violence. It's bad. Now, some of you push back and you think, no, 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 no. God is love. Can we just talk about that for a minute? God is love. I like that. Wrath? Let's not talk about that. It's in the Bible. 
Jesus talks about it. In fact, the wrath of God is talked about with 20 different words, about 20 different words in the Old and New Testament for almost 600 times. Do you think the wrath of God is a big deal? Absolutely. Why? To create in us a sense of urgency. Because by nature, we are under a death sentence, and it does not end well. And so God tells us about sin, and he tells us what effect it has on our lives, and it gives us the label that by nature, we are objects of wrath. Doesn't sound good. On what basis did God choose Verse 4, but, most important conjunction in all of Scripture, we talk about it a lot, three-letter word, but, because of his, what? Great love for who? For us. Why did God choose you? Is it your life? Does Paul even go there? Does he even in any way attempt to say, well, you've done good things or you've done bad things? No. When he's talking about why did God choose you, but because of God's great love for us, the objects of wrath, because of God's great love. Why did God choose you because of his love? Let me ask you a question. Why did God choose you? Because of his love. Why did God choose you? Because of his love. God, who is what? Rich in mercy. What does rich mean? All right, I'm not calling you dumb. Rich means you got a lot of something, all right? God's got a lot of mercy, All right, here's average mercy, here's below average mercy, here's kind of above average mercy. God is rich in mercy. But because of his love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's another way of saying that God chose us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we we were worthless, even when we had absolutely no value to bring to God. What did God do? He made us alive in Christ. Why? Because he loves us. Why did God choose you? Because he loves you, period. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace, it's that grace of God. It's that undeserved love. It's a gift, right? A gift, does it cost you anything to receive a gift? No. Does it cost the giver something? Yes. God's love, did it cost you anything? No, it didn't. Did it cost God something? Yes, it did. It cost the sacrifice of his one and only son. The crucifixion of the best person. The death of God for you. To make you alive in Christ. And God, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Just real quickly, what that's saying is that God, from God's perspective, your eternity in heaven has already taken place. 
It's already as good as done. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages, we're in the coming ages now, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So he continues to dish out grace and continues to dish out mercy and continues to dish out his love, even right now, to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, faith is, always depends on the object. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. Through faith, and this not from yourselves, not your platform, not your life. It is a gift, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Why did God choose you? Because of his love. Never again. Never again can you look at your life and think to yourself, well, I'm not able to be loved by God. Never again can you look at your life because of something that you've done, because of something in your past, because of some secret that you wish no one knows about. Never again can you look at your life and say to yourself, I am unable to have peace with God. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you. It is because of God's love. And God chose the broken people, the messed up people, the people with a past, the people with secrets to be his own. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you walk out of here today understanding and embracing who you are in Christ. You are chosen because of his love. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you have done to save us. Um, It has nothing to do with us. Thank you that through Jesus, our salvation has been accomplished. In spite of who we are, in spite of our lives, Lord, you choose to love us. You know everything about us, and yet you still love us. Lord, We are grateful. May we identify ourselves the way that you see us as chosen by your love. We also join together in the prayer you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.